follow me, some people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. Welcome back everyone to the Playing Footsie podcast with me, Paul Briscoe. We've got Zach, Steve W and Steve D here today, all to talk about the week in stocks. We're going to share some of the news that's gone on this week. There's some big news that's gone on and then we're going to have a chat about stock and we're going to probably end with a couple of our little favorites as well. Uh, Everyone had a good week. Has everyone, anyone been up to anything yeah, I had a good week, um, especially in the stock market. I think uh, some of us have had some astronomical gains. Yeah. Uh, to be week. honest with you, I have as well. Yeah. Uh, I have been all over Bitcoin this week because uh, the great Elon Musk has decided that Tesla needs 1.5 billion of Bitcoin, right? Yeah, adding 1.5 billion of Bitcoin to Tesla's balance sheet. Uh, is this all just a massive PR stunt, or is there something more to this? I mean, in I mean, recently because um, they've had they've had a good quarter uh, just just gone. And I think they said that they're basically using their cash to maximize returns that isn't required to maintain adequate operating liquidity. Basically, what this trend says: we're yellowing. But we'll we'll fancy the words up, and um, you guys have no idea what he means. <laughs> I think uh, I think because I, I had a look, I had a good look, and I think that's around what seven percent of their cash that they're holding. So it is quite quite large. It's it's, it's imagine seven percent of your um, portfolio going into BTC, right? And you have no idea like what it's gonna do in the next week or the month after. Believe it or not, I actually saw something on that today, and it was it's something like he's got they've got 25 billion on their balance sheet, and they've decided to put 1.5 billion into Bitcoin, and it's not seven percent. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Zach, it's not just seven seven percent. It's actually 6.9 percent, which makes it obviously so much better, <laughs> right? Because it's Elon Musk, right? Because this is not a PR stunt in any way. Yeah, I mean, how much money have they made since since, since joining? Um, the Bitcoin crowd. I mean, yeah, is it is it just a case of you know a taste for disruption and publicity here? I mean, a lot of like including um, Chamath for one. I know we have Parikh Patel <laughs> as well. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's just a case of publicity stuff. Yeah, here. yeah, it's 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 there's a lot to it. I mean, this did start uh, a long time ago when we saw the uh, conversation between uh, the guy off micro, uh, from MicroStrategy. Oh, his name's just left the top of my head there. And they were talking about getting Bitcoin onto a balance sheet. And ever since then, it's kind of been on the cards that Tesla was going to take on Bitcoin. And we all knew what that was going to do uh, to with with Bitcoin. And now, you know, if we are to make a really good bull case for Bitcoin at this point, 
this has opened up corporations to now buy Bitcoin. I don't know why it took Tesla to do this rather than say Square or PayPal that have already done this, but now apparently Bitcoin is the is now open up to all sorts of companies. I mean, the latest one was Apple we're talking about doing it, or at least someone's made up the rumor that Apple's gonna take on Bitcoin. But actually Salesforce seems to be one of the bigger companies that seems to be one of the ones that wants to take it on. I'll go bigger, um, BlackRock. I think um, they've allowed their um, funds uh, to take up um, Bitcoin as well. So this is just a case of um, how much can we push Bitcoin and make it institutionalized, I guess. And I think, um, as you mentioned earlier on, that fellow who's um, had a seminar earlier, earlier this month, uh, past month, Bitcoin rocketed uh, as a result. I mean, I know uh, a lot of the small cap stuff, including the miners, um, they jumped as well, quite a few. Um, so it's just a case of, is it a self-fulfilling prophecy? I mean, should we pump it enough and eventually it'll become, you know, the reserve currency? Is that what People it craves? Are we, are we craving some legitimacy? Is that what Bitcoin needs to be to, to become the reserve currency? I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin. I, I personally have been in and around that system since about 2010 and I'm pretty much part of the Bitcoin gang really um, especially Ethereum as well I'm a big fan of what Ethereum could be so I always plan on holding a bit of Bitcoin I've always said 1% of my net worth I'd like to put in a Bitcoin as a hedge against the economy so I'm more than happy to be currently two three hundred percent up on bitcoin uh as w last time i checked anyway because bitcoin bounced 15 percent on the news of elon musk taking on it but i did see today um lots of other things to to do with bitcoin like michael burry came out again and there's something that happens when that guy starts to talk <laughs> about shorting your stock <laughs> and uh, he as we all know I think Michael Burry is well short Tesla at the minute and so far I don't think he's lost mm -hmm. anything on his yep. Tesla short uh, as far as we know anyway and he basically said that Bitcoin and Tesla are both going up at the same rate and there's no other reason for them to be going up other than hype and that includes Tesla, which uh, I wouldn't. I, I'm actually quite interested in Tesla as because even though it's way off its earnings, when you look at Tesla and its price to sales ratio, it's actually quite low. I think its price to sales ratio is something like 25. Um, when if you compare it any, if you compare any other company out there like uh, CrowdStrike, Salesforce, even Teladoc, I think. Um, their price to sales ratio is actually more like in the hundreds at the moment. So you could argue that Tesla is kind of right on value at the moment if you look at it in that way. It's even um, cheaper, sorry. Uh, I mean, on price to sales ratio than Neo as well. I mean, a lot of people think Neo's cheap, but I mean, on, on, on that ratio itself, Tesla's cheaper. I mean, I wouldn't be valuing either of those companies on price to sales though because they've got a high ticket item and which they sell a lot of and uh, the, it's profit that matters it's profit that matters on a car yeah and also uh, while i haven't looked at this i'm coming at this from 
personally quite a poor uh, knowledge level if I'm honest. Um, would their price to sales, would their sales revenue also include the um, green energy tickets as well? Would they be bolstered by that, do we think? They split that out, don't they, usually? I think they split them out in the most recent figures. So I think we, we can safely assume that they will be in the main figures, but I think they are split out later down. Yeah, because I know uh, Neo, Neo used them f- favourably, um, meaning what, whenever it was best for them to kind of boost up their numbers. I don't know about Tesla, to be fair. Um but on your it was case, just an interesting one because I wondered if their uh, price to sales, their revenue count, did actually include the green tickets or not. Uh, and if you if you are, then because it does seem that Tesla right now is being valued on its price to sales because it's around twenty five to thirty. Uh, so if it's including these green tickets, I mean it's not bad because the green tickets aren't going anywhere. So there's no real reason why you should discount them. But it is that. We're starting to think that even on price to sales, Tesla isn't is a little bit too overvalued. And then and then you've got Michael Burry uh, and his thesis on the stock and how the stock's moving. And the per- he he thinks he thinks it's bubbled over. He literally said that on Twitter today. He thinks that Tesla has now bubbled over, and he's waiting for the crash. Um, that's a big top to call, though. Um, Does. Does it mean that he's indirectly kind of shorting Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, in a way. In a way, it's. Um, I guess it's a. Has it's there's a there's a lot there's a lot to it, isn't there? He's they are both. They're both. He's saying they are both correlated. So yes, in in that way, Michael Burry is talking right on about Bitcoin. On shorting, though, I do want to move this on because I think we could just talk i think me and zach could talk about that for a very very long time on shorting uh we've got to move on to the other piece of news that was pretty big this week and that was the hindenburg report on uh my favorite man chamath palihapitiya if uh, if anyone doesn't know i'm not a big fan of chamath i think he's a bit of a disney villain um (laughs) It's I. It's he. He really. He's. Uh, my personal opinion is he's lying. That's that's my personal opinion. So, do we think that Clover Health's time is over, or do we think Chamath can save it? Well, this isn't the first time that there's been a short report on uh, on Clover Health, and and out of all the short sellers, I think Hindenburg's probably the one I have the most respect for. Um, they were the ones that called um, Nicola short. Um, they were the ones that basically revealed about the truck rolling down the hill. Um, so yeah, their their report is is really in depth, and it's um, some of the stuff in there is quite shocking. I think with a lot of short reports, you find some of the stuff is just like pie in the sky, like reaching for the stars, kind of. You know, I've seen this guy wear the same shoes as this guy, so they're both liable. Um, and and then there's some parts of it that are you know, I was looking at some of the stats on the the physicians from. Um, Clover Health, and they're way overstating um, the amount of uh, physicians that are using um, the service at the moment. So it, it is quite shocking, really, some of the things that were revealed in there. And, and Chamath has just kind of come out and said, well, trust the process. Well, that's not how investing works. And and SPACs are well known for, for fraud. And, um, and this, on the face of it, looks like it could be another one. 
It's very much worth that uh, noting that Hindenburg isn't actually in a short position for this stock, as far as we know either. No. Yeah, I was trying to work out what I want to see in a short report for these kind of things. I mean, whether I want a short report from someone who is short a stock, uh, or whether I want to see it from someone who isn't. I mean, there's a certain sense in which when I read short reports, I tend to think, well, there's a chance this company's short this stock and are now trying to get out of trouble on their short report, which has been going up and up and up. And now they need to try and find some pressure downwards on it. On the other hand, I do also kind of think, well... If I'm reading a short report and there's not a reason why they can't, I would like to see them put their money where their mouth is a little bit on these kind of things rather than just throwing mud from the side. So I'm always slightly wary of what I want to see in short reports from uh, who's got what position in these sorts of things. Didn't they spend like four months on this report and then basically just backed out last minute uh, just because Citron is not doing... Well, isn't shorting anymore. I mean... But here's the thing now, because they, they, they're trying to position themselves as being, you know, the superhero of the stock market, trying to, you know, call out the, the bad guys, right? Now, then why aren't they in, 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 in a short position then? I mean, is it just the case that they don't want to be on the opposite end of the Wall Street? I think there's two reasons I guess, why. Pound, I think right? one they explain is that they they want to release the report to legitimise short selling in saying that, you know, we're not short this stock uh, and therefore we're not overstating the facts um, we're, we're trying to show you the benefit of having good quality short sell short selling reports um, that are out there but the second reason is is that um, Chamath is man of the people at the moment and mm. the going short on 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 a cult figure at the moment which is what he is um, that could backfire um, even mm -hmm. if the, the facts are correct in the short report i agree with that you definitely need the right kind of catalyst to go short on something that's why it's why people have been having such a miserable time shorting tesla you just don't stand in the way of something that's going up at a rate and shows no sign of turning even if you think it's overpriced even if you think it's going to miss its earnings you need some sort of really good catalyst to say look this is the point where it's going to turn around rather than just keep driving straight through us in our short position and we're going to get burnt out there's an element of getting scared at you know causing another gme that sort of thing but these guys do work really really hard for their short reports the nicola short report was very very intense i think they ended up um infiltrating nicola and getting text messages and that's how they found out about the rolling down the hill these guys don't just turn up at a fake address and take a photo of it like we've seen in previous short reports so we've now got some of the things that uh, they brought up in the Hind the latest hindenburg report on uh, clover health are you know they're pretty strong and <laughs> there's no one <laughs> there's no one more than me that wants to see Chamath uh eat some shit for a bit <laughs> like it's it's not it's I, I think he's really pushed people on the GME thing and he's really good marketing and jumping on the bangwagons and uh, we if there's a hole someone's gonna find it I think and maybe we're starting to see those holes it'd be nice to think that but on the other hand, maybe it's squeaky clean and maybe it's perfectly right, but they're definitely overinflating the amount of number, uh, the amount of physicians they're using, definitely. And they they say that they're against these sorts of practices when the DOJ report 
does suggest that they are simply following the same rules, at least to get ahead in the short term. I find Chamat kind of confusing. I'd be interested to sort of hear what um, Steve and Zach think of him. I mean, I feel exactly the same way that you do, right? Um, and I think I can probably rival you for my general dislike of him, maybe slightly short. But I, I really find it hard to pin down why. Because when I try and pin down why, I've got, well, I think he lies to people quite a lot. Um, I think he's a straightforward marketing kind of a guy. Uh, and I think what he does doesn't care for the people he thinks he's informing and will cost them money as long as they buy his SPACs or uh, generally do what he tells them to do in the markets. But that's true of like everyone in these market participation things. I mean, there's CNBC contributors who uh, in one interview are telling you there is no point buying anything that doesn't pay a dividend. In the next interview telling you that they're three biggest holdings are all SPACs um, and then pushing Amazon and Facebook and um, Alibaba uh, for another one. But it's when you do it off the back of being an ethical person, right? Because that's his whole thing. That's mm -hmm. what social capital is all about. He went and he's created this whole ESG ethos. And if it comes out that, you know, some of his companies are doing just the same old crap everyone else is doing. And he's going on CNBC and saying, you know, uh, NVIDIA's, NVIDIA sucks. And he's going on NBC and saying that you shouldn't be short in Tesla. Um, uh, you should be buying Tesla. When actually, in reality, Social Capital only brought Tesla convertible bonds because they didn't want the risk of Tesla. Um, There's stuff like that I just don't like. and. Mm. He's doing it through this social capital thing. And even Facebook, like he, he was part of the creation of Facebook. He knew exactly what was going on with Facebook. He, what Facebook's become isn't a new thing. It, it's been growing over the past 10 years while he was there. And now he's left. He sits there and goes, oh, yeah, I would wonder what <laughs> they're doing there now because oh, they've been really naughty over the past five years or so. And none of that was going on when I was there. <laughs> like, what? Really? Come you know, on. Come on. Do you not think it's been the perfect storm for him, though, with, with the IPOs being so frothy? Mm -hmm. um, there's just no no chance of getting an IPO at any kind of decent price. They've been going up two, three times before retail can even get their hands on them. And here, he, here is Chamafi's democratizing IPOs. I think that's his word, it's not mine. And, um, you know, he's, he's bringing IPOs to the people at, at reasonable valuations. Now, regardless of what you think of the companies, I think they're, they're a lot weaker than the sort of companies that get to IPO. I think there's a, there's a tier system and, and I think, you know, the top tier systems, the top tier companies tend to go IPO direct listing. The second tier systems probably not ready for an IPO. They tend to go through a SPAC route. So whether you're actually getting um, a good value company or not, there, there has been some really good SPACs and some really good companies that have gone live through it. But, I mean, I struggle to see how, how you're going to attract the really, really good companies down that route, which is what I think Bill Ackman is struggling with, with PSDH. He's, he's, I, I'm almost certain he thought he would have a deal by now. And his SPAC's too big. I think is the issue. He's got to get a monster company, right. and the, the it limits him to about twenty, thirty companies. Um, you know, that's not a long list to be to whittled down to nothing. Um, but my issue with with Chamath is, 
and it's not that I dislike the guy. I, I just think he, he's, he's peddling himself as man of the people, but he sort of misses the point that he pays 25 grand for a hell of a lot of founder shares. And even if those shares go off at 10 quid, $10, he, he makes an absolute fortune out of it. Now, if you wanted to be man of the people and you wanted to democratise IPOs, you set up your SPAC like Bill Ackman did with zero founder shares. Or you set your SPAC up like HAAC did, and they gave, um, I think it's 10 or 15% of their shares to charity. Um, so yeah, I think that's how you democratise IPOs. That's how you, you you know you benefit social good. And what Chamath's doing is just being a very good marketer. It's funny you mention that because that's what he did at Facebook. Uh, he was in charge of uh, increasing its user base or user count. And I think uh, that's what he's trying to play on 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 social media as well. Um, and I think because we've seen a side where a lot of people have basically said that. He's he's trying to be the he's trying to position himself as the as the man of the people, when he's really just trying to railroad railroad them into his packs. <laughs> yeah, that's it. He knows how to use social media. He created it. He knows how the system works, and he's got himself to the head of it. It's quite crazy. I mean, uh, just as a nice segue there, because we started talking about out spacs. I know you guys, Steve and Zach, are dying to talk about some of your latest companies um anyone want to start off with one of your SPACs we'll go through SPACs first and we'll talk about yeah, I mean, I'm happy to later. start on I mean I mentioned them in the monologue um but yeah HAAC is one that's really caught my eyes it's got a, a decent sized trust of about 500 million dollars um so it's sort of in the middle in um sort of range of SPACs that are around at the moment um and it's the with SPACs really all you can look at is the trust the management and the target there is no other information out there um you know there's no point trying to value these things because until they've got a target they're essentially worth ten dollars or whatever's left in the trust when when it expires um so haac caught my eye because they've got the um they've got hemant tanager in charge of um he's the chairman of the board and he works at general catalyst and and they've pretty much got all the best uh, their their companies are the best of the best we're talking yulevongos people like stripe airbnb um it's the who's who of um of investing really um a couple of other people on the board that I, I caught my eye there's quentin clark um, he's cto or ex-cto of dropbox um and he was there when dropbox was was a real powerhouse really and it was it was before google drive and and, and all the other things that have sort of um taken market share off Dropbox. There's uh, Anita Promoda, um she's the federal she's from the Federal Reserve. She's a she's a banker essentially. And the last one was um Glenn Tullman. Glenn Tullman is uh ex Livongo. He was the the chair of the board. He took Livongo through the merger with Teladoc for uh, I think it was uh, what well, an acquisition, wasn't it? 18 and a half billion. So you know he's got some real clout in that board. Um They've released a manifesto with their SPAC, which is quite interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Basically about how they want to sort of democratise healthcare and they, they really want to look after the little guy. So, yeah, I'm really impressed with this SPAC. I think it's about as as sort of uh, as good as we can get based on our previous conversations. Um, they've had a link. It's a bit... I don't think it's confirmed to colour.com. They're an affordable genetics company, so it's ticking all the, all the meme boxes. Um, at the moment, the only issue I've got with it, it's trading about 25% above its net asset value, um, which you know, it's, means it's trading at a fair old premium, really. Yeah, let's just um, just talk about that because I'd, uh, coming from me, I do not go near the SPACs because 
I simply can't value it. What, how do you determine, determine what you wanna pay for a stack? Just go through the net asset value valuations and like tell me as an idiot, tell me what I should be paying for a SPAC and when I shouldn't be paying too much. So the, the vast majority of um, SPACs raise at $10 and that is their net asset value. So basically what they have to do is they have to sit on that cash. Um, they can spend it for meet and greeting and strip clubs and what have you, um, so long as they're taking the pest and they're, um, you know, <laughs> they're, they're trying to acquire out with them. Um, and, and they report that back and this, this money dwindles, dwindles away until... Um, uh, and they report this, like a normal company, they will report this quarterly how much they've dwindled away, how much they've spent on private jets, which they genuinely do spend a lot of money flying around all over the place. Um, but generally, a SPAC is, is $10. Uh, at the end of the redemption, you will get that money back or um, or a figure that's pretty close to that amount after fees and what have you. Um, so that is called the net asset value. So whatever happens, if that SPAC fails to find a target, you will get your money back or at least a decent proportion of it. So basically, the people call that as kind of like, that is their bank account. So they will stash cash in that SPAC on the hope that it, it gets some kind of you know well-regarded slash meme company and uh, and, it, and it generates some crazy returns. And we've seen it. I mean, the SPAC market is, is incredibly frothy. I think there's more SPACs now than in all the other years combined. So um, the only issue with that now is that it's getting to the sort of point where um, there's probably too many and uh, you could end up banging your money in $10 in a SPAC that can't find a target. And that's it, because there's so um, so much guaranteed money in a SPAC from from the net asset value and also from the 25 grand's worth of uh, free shares that the uh, owner just gets as a present. Hmm. They're, they're, there's a lot of them and we are eventually going to start seeing, and I believe that we already are starting to see, some really low quality SPACs coming on the market. I think it's just a case of whether they're going to survive post-merger. I mean, if we take Hylion, for example, it, it went up from, I think, $10 to 55 and then everyone's trying to pump it to 80 Yeah, I made a nice penis shape. And then it went back down to... <laughs> <laughs> so it went back down again to about 25 I guess and then everyone sold and now I think JP Morgan have said um, it's only worth yeah they said it's rubbish and they? by the time that Hillian's ready to make anything uh, we'll be doing something else is essentially what JPM said <laughs> so that is damning I could have told you that six months ago yeah. I could have told you who wants hybrid trucks who, who really, <laughs> when, we're, when we've got Tesla building fucking electric vehicles, who wants, who wants a, who wants a gas powered truck? It just didn't make sense. Why were so many people going on this, this stock? And I think there's more of them. I was going to say, one of the issues that I have with, I think it's both Hilly and Dan and our friend Nicola, is that what happens is as a, as a spec gets older and older and it gets towards its redemption, they tend to look to buy any old shit. And that is the that is the issue with SPACs, I think, is that the longer they go on, the more you should be worried and the less premium you should be willing to pay. Um, because you, what you're going to end up with is very, very, very basic due diligence by the, the founder and the board, because they're still going to get their 10%. I mean, hell, Nikola is probably one of the investments of the yeah. of the decade when it went up to 90. 
um, but it just as quickly went back down to not very much and with good reason so that's one of the things that you should be careful about is just make sure you you figure out when that back expires and, and sort of adjust your premium to that I was going to say sorry uh, I think everyone wants their SPACs to do well and I think there's a lot of um, hype mentality around it especially on stock tweets and even in discord servers sub sub reddits and all sorts and I think part of this is because they've just trying to position themselves close to the the NAV, the ten dollar uh, mark or twenty dollar in case of um, PCPS um, Bill Ackman's spec, but I think there's um, a lot of um, misinformation and disinformation as well in regards to uh, spacs as well, and I think it is a, is a dangerous place to kind of uh, park your money sometimes. All right, let's uh, finish off with uh, an earnings report from last week. Uh, we like to go through a little bit of an earnings report on this channel, and uh, there's one stock that came out last week that. I think we've all got a bit of an opinion on. Um, I don't know if we all follow exactly the same lines, but a few of us are invested on it, and that's um, Bristol Myers Squibb, which is kind of one of our uh, one of our stocks of the week. It's uh, a stock that potentially is a little bit down, but uh, there seems to be some promise in there that I think we're going to talk about, and um, also some of the famouses. It's got the potential to be a bit of a meme stock as well. So uh, I think Steve D, you're going to run us down with some of the uh, 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 the earnings from last week. Yeah, so the, the reason we picked this stock really is that it, it sort of satisfies a little bit of everything. So it's got a little bit of growth. It's, um, it pays a good dividend and it's... Uh, well, it's arguably a pretty good value. Um, so I'm just going to quickly run down what, what, what they reported on February the 4th, um, which was the quarter revenue was 11.1 billion, which is which is uh, over what was expected, only slightly, but this this company tends to be, um, it tends to be analysed really well. Um, it brought full year revenue up to 42.5 billion, which is, which is no small amount, really. It's a, it is a lot of sales. Uh, unfortunately, they reported a 10 billion loss in the full year and this is because they acquired a company called myocardia um towards the uh, i think it was third or fourth quarter that it actually went through they they agreed to um basically um had a debt tender offer which is an offer to the bondholders um to pay off their pay off their debts a little bit earlier um so they reduced that by about five percent and they also agreed to do three to four billion in buybacks so it was quite a. It's quite an interesting report, really. It was a ups and downs with a quite a shocking headline loss, but when you look into it, it was it was quite exciting, really. So um, I, I was really happy with the with the figures. Um, they gave some really good guidance as well. They're expecting revenue growth in the high single digits. They're expecting their gross margin, and that's uh, to be eighty point five percent, which is which is cracking, really. That's 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 tech level high. Um, yeah, that's big, for those big, who don't big. know is, is is net sales minus cost of sales um so the higher this figure is the more the company will retain for every dollar that's spent with them um so they're expecting to generate 50 billion of free cash uh, between now and 2023 which gives them a forward pe of about seven so as i would say it's cracking value um i don't know whether we want to just nip over to steve w see, see what he's got to say about it yeah, I mean, I think you're right in thinking it is good value there. I mean, Bristol Myers is one that when you look at its balance sheet, it looks a bit kind of weird, especially when you look at the kind of book value on it, because it was kicking around um, at about 14 billion, I think, for 
four or five years and a bit before then. And then suddenly after a Celgene acquisition from a little bit further ago, it shot up to about 79 billion uh, or something like, sorry, shot up to 59 uh, billion, which looks kind of great on paper. Uh, That kind of book value increase is a fun thing if you're kind of value minded in the way that I am. I mean, you have to look a little bit carefully at this kind of thing in the sense that a lot of that's made up of goodwill and intangibles. Uh, There was a 79 billion increase on goodwill and intangibles and there was an increase in long-term debt on 39 billion. So PE is a tricky kind of metric for a company that, uh, as Zach was saying last week, he prefers companies that don't have huge amounts of debt. Bristol-Myers have added to their debt sort of quite a bit uh, in the process of making acquisitions. So another way you can try and value these if you're interested is what's called enterprise value over EBITDA as a measure. So enterprise value basically takes the market cap, the debt, takes off the cash and gives you a number based on that. So it'll build in the debt basically uh, and it'll put it over your earnings before interest, tax, depreciation and amortization. And that gets you to a number of around nine, uh, which is still pretty low for what it's worth. I mean, comparisons, roughly peer group for these guys would be someone like Merck, uh, just over 11. Pfizer at just over 12, Abvi at just over 12. So there's still a kind of nice um, low-ish number there for the kind of group that these things are in. Yeah, and so this year, or last year in particular, 2020, was quite a mixed bag for the management. Uh, They've made some interesting decisions uh, buying Myocardia. Um, Myocardia is... uh, uh, from what I remember, is a, uh, a it was a heart protein detection company, or at least they're, they're trying to uh, create different therapeutics around um, uh, ACS um, problems in the heart. And while that pr- company doesn't really have a lot of products at the moment, it's supposed to have quite a good pipeline for the drugs for all the ACS things. And also the cell gene merger was quite an interesting one because it was quite a shrewd deal that they made with the cell gene merger. The Most of the time when these companies make mergers and acquisitions, which is what Bristol-Myers Squibb is, it's a uh, mergers and acquisitions company. The, these farm, big pharma, uh, pharmacology companies, they make their money by buying new companies and then reaping the benefits out of them. Celgene was a very promising um, company, but it needed to gain approval for three drugs in order to make sure the merger happened. And what was quite interesting uh, in comparison to say what a normal merger would take uh, would happen is that BMY had absolutely no risk on the table. If Celgene didn't make the three FDA approvals, then BMY was able to just walk away without paying anything, which is quite rare actually in in this sort of business. Uh, So the management have made quite an interesting, good move in that situation, but uh, we're not quite there with myocardia yet as the new drug uh, pipeline there. However, uh, this new amount of money, I think it was 6.8 billion they were left with uh, of extra spare cash. Um, are they planning on doing anything? That, what, what do we see Bristol Myers doing with that cash in the near future? Anyone know? Yeah, so the near future, they're, um, they're going to use it to buy back the stock, essentially. They're going to use um, between 3 and $4 billion of it to um, buy back, which is quite a large chunk of, of stock, really. That's 
dollars, three to four billion dollars of stock. Um, and the stock is only 50, 55, 59 dollars at the moment anyway. So they're going to buy a, a large chunk of that stock back. Um, they're also uh, raising the dividend as well, um, which was which was quite nice to see for dividend investors. Sure. Which I also love to see. Um, it would be, yeah, it would be nice, uh, but I don't think there's anything too specific that they've talked about in their pipeline yet for using that money to buy anything else. So, yeah, most of the cash seems to be going back to um, back into shareholders' hands, which I personally love. Um, I think companies should pay back to their shareholders, especially when they're quite mature companies. That's where I kind of like to look at. Um, and I know not everyone agrees with me on that one. <laughs> um, well, one of the things that I think is quite exciting about that is that I'm not I'm not overly bothered about having the cash in my pocket because I think that Bristol Myers can make a, a, a much better company with fifty billion dollars um, worth of free cash. So whether that is, I mean, they've got a, a pretty large debt pile to pay off. Um, they could they could get that paid off. Um, they could pay half of that off and then have half the free cash flow to, and, and this is what I think is most exciting, is to go and acquire again. Um, go and acquire a genomics company, something that we think that's probably lacking from their portfolio. Um, but the the, the, the test is, is that really they're going to be generating this cash for quite a while. The patents on, on the vast majority of their, their drugs are fairly long. There is one of the blockbuster drugs which is ending in 2022, I think, Steve's shaking his head, so he, mm. he may know exactly. Um, so that's going, to be, that's going to be a killer. But the pipeline has a lot of stuff in it as well, which is, um, which is coming along, which they're hoping to supplement uh, revenue with. So I think they're going to be generating free cash for quite a while. Now, whether that goes in our pockets via dividends, via buybacks, or whether they go out and acquire more great companies like Celgene, I, I really think it's one to watch. Yeah, so when I was sort of significantly further back in my kind of investing career and I was thinking about how to analyse stocks and that kind of thing, um, Steve D always told me that he thinks mining stocks are easy because basically what you have to do is work out how much stuff they got in the ground, how much that stuff sells for and how much it takes to pull it out the ground, more or less. And I kind of think that pharma companies like this are sort of similar, although they're harder to work out, basically. So you want to know what's in their pipeline, um, how successful is it likely to be coming out of their pipeline uh, and what's the current market cap on their company i mean those are harder things to work out in the sense that cancer drugs don't have a like commodities price that you can look at and work out that it's going to go up or down or so on but it feels like for bristol myers i mean all of their stuff is out of patent i think by the end of 2028 uh, having a bit of a look uh, but they do have what they're talking up a lot as a really strong pipeline to follow through on that kind of thing so they're talking about um significant sort of 40-ish uh yeah, $42 billion um, dollars of revenue coming out of their kind of pipeline drugs, which is important in a company like this. Hmm. And it's most important, uh, especially for the people that are following the uh, sort of meme and popular stocks at the moment, is that it's quite a big part of ARK Invest genomics portfolio as well. Uh, we see, we all take a look at ARK Invest daily buys and BMY very recently has been uh, quite heavily bought on those, mainly probably because the price has gone down quite a bit recently, um, and they're just sorting out their waiting. But uh, we've mentioned we mentioned this before. There's a lot of big pharma companies and value plays in the Arc Genomics ETF, and uh, Bristol Mars is one of them. And Bristol Mars is one of the ones like Rush is that is getting bought quite a lot. 
uh, and actually not being sold. Berkshire do too. Yep, Berkshire's another one. Uh, Warren Buffett's buying it, Kathy Wood's buying it, like everyone in between, like us, is kind of buying it. Um, and we've all said a lot of really good things about it. They've got cash on hand, they've made a really nice acquisition, the drug sales are up on stuff like Opdivo, uh, the pipeline looks really good, and the share price is just going nowhere. I mean, like five years ago, it was uh, around 63. When I looked earlier today, it was at 60. Uh, the dividend's going up. It's gone up by about 10% a year for the last couple of years or so. But but all the kind of good news, we all like this stock a lot. Uh, and there's lots of things to like about it, but none of them seems to move the damn price at all. I mean, other than slightly down. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's it. We, well, why is it Why is it not moving? Um, no one knows, especially as if all of these great investors love this stock. Um, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to, just going to say, um, <laughs> when I started buying um, Bristol Myers, it was just prior to the Celgene <laughs> merger, um, and the, the it wasn't really even on the table. Uh, Bristol Myers as a company was pretty much finished, and the investors were holding on in the hope that it, it got acquired itself. And the rumour was that just before um, Celgene actually was acquired by Bristol Myers, was that Pfizer was going to buy Bristol Myers. Um, so yeah, so the the investors were holding on for the Pfizer merger, and then when the Celgene merger got announced, the initial reaction was like, oh, oh no, we don't, we didn't want to hold you, we just wanted the money, <laughs> and also, that's a lot of money for Celgene. Well, they. They did pretty good with the cell gene, and to be honest with you, all these mergers in the pharma world always get announced. I mean, AstraZeneca is constantly trying to get, uh, trying to have, it's batting off Pfizer actually, because Pfizer seems to just want to buy everyone at the minute. Mm. Um, Bristol Myers was obviously a target as well. Uh, that just seems to be how the pharma world works. Uh, everyone buys everyone. And uh, it's a race to the top on that one, I think. I think that's also how uh, ARK Invest sees all the genomics worlds going. I, I, we've spoken about that before. Okay, I think we'll end it there. That sounds like a pretty good point to end it on at about 45 minutes. Um, thank you very much for everyone who's uh, made it this far. Uh, let us know in the comments below what you think of Bitcoin, what you think of ARK Genomics, where you think that's going. Um, Leave it in the comments below the YouTube video. Feel free to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Uh, the links are also in the description below the video. And uh, thank you so much for listening on Spotify and Apple. Uh, that's doing really well, surprisingly well, um, when we looked at the statistics this evening. Uh, thank you very much for everyone for watching. And uh, we hope to make this uh, much better every week. We're always trying to improve, so leave us any suggestions. And thank you very much for the third time. <laughs>